0: in our virtual green room heard about the coco melon tiktok challenge which somehow i didn't even know anything about despite the fact that if you look at the pictures in my background this is my niece um that on the I guess it's my left, I don't know what it is on the screen, is her just playing that buzzing sound in the intro of Coco Melon? She went from probably inconsolable to bursting through the hallway with excitement. So I guess maybe because this isn't really a business question, so we could ask it kind of now while everyone's filtering in. What is it about that buzzing sound in the intro that gets kids so excited?
1: I'm gonna take a crack at that.
0: Yeah, and then we could start for real after.
1: <laughs> so uh, so in general, people always you know, I always get the question why what makes Coco Melon so popular? It's like the most watched show on YouTube and 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 maybe the most watched show, certainly one of the most watched shows on Netflix. Um Obviously, it's hard to put a finger on it, but something about it, and maybe you've seen this with your with your uh, niece Brandon, is it it it's it's um, it's uh, over like a multi sensory experience in terms of the big eyes, the sounds. They really like the music, the songs, but it's not so. It's very engaging to kids, but it's not overstimulating. A lot of kids' content can be very overstimulating and get your kids kind of hyped up. So, you know, we've seen that parents thank us all the time in terms of. You know, my kids love watching Cocoa Melon. They learn something and it calmed them down, which is, I think, part of why, you know, it's so engaging to parents. But for kids, it's that it's that kind of that in terms of that, the intro, something about the combination of the audio and, and the visual and the anticipation really gets them uh, excited. And one of the things that we've seen is repetition, which repetition is something that can be frustrating to an adult. But for a kid, it's actually important part of how they learn. And they really like anticipating what's gonna happen next and then being right. That's very satisfying experience. And that's something that we build into every one of the episodes. God.
2: So we had headspace Wait. on a few weeks ago in terms of calming down people, at least like at our age. Is there <laughs> going to be a moonbug version for Brandon to calm him down? Because I feel like if you guys could like kind of create like some form of content for Brandon <laughs> to calm him and chill him, I would pay a lot of money for that. Just as a
0: partner of Brandon, no, so. let, let me let me ask one more question. No, about no, no, content let, because something well, hold on. Let's, then we'll let's start just for hold on.
2: Let's just intro. Let's just intro, okay. it and then you can ask your question. Okay, so okay, on cool. behalf of Brandon Ross and Walt Pisik, I'm Rich Greenfield. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Light Shed Live. Brandon's really excited for today's interview. We've got um, Renee and Andy from Moonbug. We're really happy they could join us. It's one of the most exciting kids content stories anywhere on planet Earth. Uh, Brandon, let's you want to jump right in. So you start off and we'll we'll go no, from the questions. Other question I but, have but before is... I before I forget, just anybody who has a question, there's a Q&A box. Use the Q&A Post your questions. We'll try to get through as many of your questions over the course of the hour as we can. Just put them into Q and A. Uh, we prefer that over chat. And Brandon, take us away.
0: No, the other question I just had is why is sign language such a big part of of Coco Melon? Now my niece knows how to sign probably better than she knows how to speak because of Coco Melon, and that's the only other question that I that I needed to know. The answer to
1: rene do you want to take that one or i you I'm you, you, to...
3: you go you go for it Andy, and then i can give you the background afterwards
1: well so it's it's i i think it's a cool story of how we started started doing sign language for uh, videos for kids a couple of years ago so we part of our recruiting process is we have uh we hire interns straight you know who are looking to get into the media space and we hire kind of way, you know, waves of classes of them. And one of the things we do is every month we do kind of beer and pizza night and just give them like a chance. Like, what are, what are things that we're not doing? What is your feedback coming in as a, you know, 21 year old, 22 year old, 20 year old. This is like job? a moonbug bug hacker night. Yeah. And one of the, one of our, uh, was an intern. Now she's a, like a key member of the team, but she had the idea that, you know what, we don't see many sign language, sign language videos for kids. It's a, you know, in a world where we're trying to get better at diversity and inclusion, it's an important audience out there. And so we started making our first sign language videos. And it turns out the, the, the demand that we see, I think, is even broader than the hearing impaired. I think a lot of people, parents, like their kids to start to learn sign language. Um, so we've seen really good demand. And it's something that we've leaned into. And we actually just recently launched our own kind of dedicated sign language channel with all of our brands interesting
3: okay i think you mentioned something right Andy? i mean the whole premise of of starting this business two and a half three years ago um was all about creating a company with a purpose uh and you know john and myself my co-founder we were focused on on values like compassion empathy kindness and resilience that had to under uh, the fundament of everything we do. So when the idea about American Sign Language came up, which of course, I mean, it's it's a no-brainer, uh, and and we just gave her the freedom uh, to go and do it. Uh, and 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 also, I mean, Andy, this is something in particular you are involved in. You know, when we launch content, we have the privilege of testing it in real time. So we actually launched uh, uh, three different presenters. Uh, in the initial couple of videos and very quickly measured how are kids reacting, which one is most popular. And it completely stood out which uh, host was the most popular one. And then right away we doubled down on that. And that's the way we're thinking all the time with our our content. And Brandon, you know, behind your your first question, there's also something quite interesting. Uh, You know, why is is Melon so popular? And you can actually ask that across most of our IP, I think Andy gave you a good technical explanation around the repetitiveness and and the anticipation, you know, the big eyes and 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 kind of you know the the tone tune, tune uh, throughout. But there's something else that is completely fundamental, and I, I know Rich will ask that later on. So I'll just jump right into it. You know, we knew that in the 50s or 40s and 50s we had a new form of animation coming into to, 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 to the scene, which is made for TV animation, right? It was when TV became a thing. And then later on, we had made for cable uh, uh, when it was always on. You had the, the networks having the animation channels. What has happened since then is, of course, what we call made for platform uh, animation. And that's something that we have seen very early on. And nobody else really... Uh, are playing in that game. Even if you listen to to the street analyzing Netflix first quarter, uh, they're all saying, yeah, they will have more subscribers later on if they get a hit, right? They will launch uh, witches or, or sex education. We know they're driving subscribers. I do believe in that, but I also believe that's a very still old school way of looking at it, right? Made for platform content, and especially in the kids' space, is a little bit different. Like it was a little bit different when it was launched into cable. It was a little bit different when it was launched into a TV back in in the fifties. And that's a thing that we are the only one who have really at scale program into. So that's so, the underlying thing why you see Coco Melon, Bleeby, Little Baby Bomb, Apo, and all these different animations becoming more and more popular on every platform, not only YouTube. So
4: how does that differ from your experiences back at Dis- Disney or Makers. I mean, how did you come to this realization? If you can give us a bit of the kind of the origin story of the things that you were learning at Disney and Makers and how this kind of made for platform concept, I guess, is kind of, was kind of born out of that.
3: Yeah, that, that's, that's correct. So basically around the, 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 the acquisition of Maker, when I start looking into the data, and that was the early days of, 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 of this company in principle, I realized that 50% of our viewership was music related. Not surprisingly, as as YouTube is is the new MTV, Um, but almost 30% was kid related. And when I start diving deeper into that data, uh, I saw that the top 100 channels that our kids were watching all over the world, by the way, two and a half hours or more a day were mom and pop shops, or what I call no brands. And there's different reasons for that, uh, and we can dive into that later, but I saw that as a huge opportunity. And then joining Disney, and almost spending four years at Disney, and actually pitching the idea of of, 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 of Moonbog to Kevin, uh, who's, a, who's a good friend. Um,
2: Kevin Mayer, to be clear. Yeah,
3: Kevin Mayer, yeah, 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 Kevin Mayer. Um, Back then, because I realized this is a huge opportunity. We have now platforms who are global. YouTube was, was, was the first one. And, um, and you have kids watching the same content. And, and the content is, is not by, owned by the big studios. It's owned by mom and pop shops. It literally, you know, uh, Rich, you and your wife deciding 10 years ago, hey, we had enough of, of, of doing whatever we were doing. Let's go and create uh, animation. Uh, And you got the narrative story written by some friends in L.A., you got the music done in Seattle, you got the animation done in Canada, and then five, ten years later, you're printing money on one platform, one language. Then I come and I knock on the door and I say, listen, what you guys have done over the last five years is wonderful. Why don't I buy it and scale it up and professionalize it and make it global uh, 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 in in, in its nature? And that's, that's really the business we're in. We're identifying the most popular IP out there, and then we go, we acquire it, and we consolidate it, and we amplify it. And it's all based on data. So, so, so that's the opportunity. The opportunity was already clear for me during my, my years at Disney, or the transformation from Maker Studios into Disney. But as you know, Disney and everybody else has a different war to focus at at the moment, the streaming war. And back then, it was in their face, right? They had 25 billion net contribution CV business in, in, in decline that they needed to transform. So that was the main focus, and that's why they 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 put all the resources behind that and every other traditional studio. So I Hopefully. believe what we will see in a couple of years from now will be a same war on, on, on who owns the brands that consumers love.
4: And, and why did Coco Melon need Moonbug to monetize?
3: So Cocomelon was one channel on one platform in one language, right? Created out of Irvine uh, uh, in Orange County. And, and the world is big. There's many platforms. So either the mom and pop shop, Jay and his wife, needed to go and, and get investment in and, and get professional management and expand their business, create more languages and to new platforms, invest in technology. Uh, invest in more creative people, or they could come and, and, and join uh, uh, the Moonbark uh, vision.
2: And I guess just like it was a husband and wife animating in California on their own, like they just came up with this idea on their own, and started just putting it out on YouTube, and it just started taking off. And, you know, essentially, nobody else walked by to buy them except for you, like what sort of like, uh, you know, give us sort of like the how did how did something like this happen?
0: And what yeah, you mean, saw in that property before it was monetizing.
3: Sure. I mean, it's not only Melon. It's, it's the majority of the properties we have acquired and we have acquired 11 properties to date. Um, but, but the data uh, is a big, that was
2: the first huge one, I guess that really, I mean, I, when I think of Moonbug, I, I used to think of little baby bum, but now I really think of Coco Melon. Maybe that's my own fault, but like that it's so big and it's so everywhere. It sort of seems like it defines you. It's just, it's hard to believe that nobody else, like that this wasn't like 10 people fighting to buy this asset, I guess
3: so 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 you're right i mean we we acquired little baby Bomb as the first big one uh, and then bleeby as the second big one in between we acquired quite a few um, and then uh, and then cocomelon and there's no doubt that cocomelon was uh, the biggest of our acquisitions um, although bleeby was was also a very big one and transformational one so yes there will always be other people flirting. there'll always be other people having a chat but we're talking about properties that are already so popular and so big that, uh, you know, it requires a certain uh, uh, size of pocket to, to be involved in acquisition of, of these properties. But they're still so small and there's no history and there's no proper infrastructure. So it's going to be difficult for a Disney to go and acquire a coca Right. It just doesn't take all the boxes for a kosher acquisition.
2: Well, I guess i th- that's really hard for me to understand. It, okay, it is a handle, uh, fundamentally appealing, like kids love it. Brandon's like n- normally Brandon's niece would be running behind him in a Disney t-shirt or a Peppa Pig t-shirt. She's running with a Cocoa Melon t-shirt like that. That that seems very Disney like when I look at that picture, like that's exactly what Disney wants. The toys, the t-shirts like that is prototypical Disney, so what is what doesn't work when you say oh well they couldn't buy this because it doesn't work
3: so so have in mind that when we're buying mom and pop shops there's no big proper office uh, there's no history of financials uh, there's no there's no corporate governance uh, that that fits into what we call a normal governance from from a company this is really made out of people's houses, and they might have a small studio somewhere with a couple of employees. To, to, to even imagine uh, getting five years of financials in the correct way and looking at properties, whether they have their IP uh, uh, registered and trademarked globally and all that, forget about it, right? And by the way, if you turn up, in, in, in a suit and tie and knock on the door, they'll get so scared that you won't even have the conversation. I mean, give you an example that you, and you want to add something. So I,
2: I want to know what you wore to the meeting because now I'm really curious. <laughs> I
3: mean, he didn't he, wear
2: that button down and I didn't wear this blazer,
1: I'll tell you that. <laughs> but the, the only thing I was going to say, but for 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 all of these, um, you know, Blippi and Coco Mountain, for example, these are conversations that we were in for years. So it, it's, it, it definitely took a lot of persistence, patience, showing that we understand this space. This is, these are the biggest, um, obviously, what they've created are, are probably the biggest achievements of their career. It's a huge decision for them. And they, they fundamentally want to know that this thing that they've created, this brand, is going to be in good hands. It's going to be much bigger three, four, five years down the road. And so these were long conversations. These were not like, you know, show up with a checkbook type conversations. Although, eventually, we did have to show up with a checkbook.
0: Great. Um, I think a good follow-up to this is, can you kind of tell us what's changed in kids entertainment over the last several years? What do kids want content-wise? What do parents want content-wise? And how has that evolved from when Disney really just dominated or Sesame Street? Or Nickelodeon. I mean,
2: the other. Yeah, or or Nick. Right. I mean, there was that thing called Nickelodeon, right? I was trying to
0: think back to when I was a kid, but. (laughs) There there still is, but it's a different
1: form, right? So, (laughs) Renee, why don't I take a crack at it and you can add on. So, I I think most fundamentally, Brandon, and going to this like on demand world where kids growing up only knowing on demands, not knowing anything about, you know, linear programming, et cetera, is for me, when I think about it, I think the biggest thing that changes there used to be a couple gatekeepers, two or three gatekeepers who chose what, you know, what I watched as a kid growing up, um, what you watched as a kid growing up. Whereas now with a platform with open platforms or open platform like YouTube, it's not, there's not a single gatekeeper or two or three gatekeepers are making those decisions. So it enables these like independent grassroots creators who with skill and a lot of hard work over many years, and a lot of patience and, and learning and adapting and constantly iterating to what they get feedback they get from the audience. They, and of course, a little bit of luck along the way. They end up creating these shows and characters that are the most popular, like Coco Melon, for example, or Blippy, um, with a global audience. And that never really existed before, right? Until the last few years, you had to convince somebody sitting in New York or Los Angeles or London. Uh, who was making all of the decisions that your show was the best in order and they would decide what the kids would watch and that's not the way it works today so fundamentally that's a big that's a big difference and obviously that's a key insight behind kind of the whole premise behind our company is that right. this inspiration these properties can come from anywhere it takes a long time it's not easy to do but they can literally come from anywhere and our acquisitions renee said you know 11 acquisitions have been on I think four continents and like six or seven different countries, so they really do come from anywhere um, and reach. How much have you spent on those millions? Renee?
3: I don't know, I don't think uh, we we're we publicly uh, talking about that. But you can you can you can do the math backwards, right? Um, our our car, the first round we raised uh, was around 150 million plus. And the second round was 120 million plus, uh, so you can do your own math. Um, and uh, yeah, but we we don't really talk about it.
2: And, and I'm going to presume you're not sitting on 250 million of cash. So
3: <laughs> I, You've I think a lot you of the cash. Not. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be surprised, uh, Rich. Yeah. Well, but, but I guess that's
2: the thing. Like you are generating. I mean, I assume that this business seems like you generate a tremendous amount of cash in this business. So um i guess that is also part of the story too is that these become very big cash generators very quickly
3: correct i mean uh, uh, the majority of the acquisitions we're doing are already very profitable uh of course with 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 way too high margins because they are uh, totally scaled down as as family businesses uh so so that's a big advantage and when we then put it on steroids then then it grows really really fast so yeah it's very it's it's a very profitable business in that sense.
4: Change change gears a little bit here. I mean, my kids are a bit older, so maybe I'm missing the missing this a bit. But it seems like a lot of kids' content, um, or a lot of content, is on YouTube now. That's where the kids kind of gravitate to. Can kids? Do you think kids' content can be successful if it isn't popular on on YouTube?
3: I mean, Andy, you can probably answer uh, as a as a former. Uh, Acquisition uh, specialist in the kids space at Netflix. Um, So, uh, I I think
1: I think our answer, Walt, Walt, is is no. Is is that you need to have that big audience base, Um, and so and that's actually fundamentally that's part of our strategy is that these properties, these these shows that we acquire. Many of them launched on YouTube, but regardless, they they all have been discovered and found a big audience there. And then, but, you know, as as and you guys, I imagine you might get there. But as all these platforms, everybody's launching platforms, subscription platforms that want to appeal to the whole family, they realize that that kids' content is a real, a huge, important retention driver, right? I mean, it's one of the things that we saw that I saw on you know when I was at Netflix is um, that. The more people in a household use the service, the the return just went down and down and down and down. Which is why they're looking for for known kids properties, well known IP, well known brands, and that's how you know that's how they come to us, and that's how we work with them, right? And so these properties, yes, they they exist on YouTube, they exist at other places, but um, um, but they also drive huge engagement on these platforms. I mean, look at Coco Melon, right? It's 200 day over 200 days in the top 10
0: on Netflix. Um, despite. I don't think there's anything the else. Top.
2: I think I don't think there's anything even in the ballpark.
0: All
3: right.
0: And when, no. and when there's a next season, you know, that's popping right to number one. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> Hopefully right. soon. Right. But also, yeah.
3: Well, I think to Andy's to answer, the way we're looking at our IP is, is, is through two, um, two fundamental dimensions. One is awareness, and the other one is affinity, which are both fundamentals to build global franchises. And as we completely recognize that the awareness part, YouTube is by far the most dominant player. You cannot create such a big awareness on any other platform globally, only YouTube. Uh, it might then lack uh, the affinity part, which is then... The other very important part to build a franchise and platforms like HBO, Netflix and Amazon, Sky in the UK, they can help build that affinity. So the combination of of, of those things are are really what we're looking for. Build a huge awareness and momentum and then get the heart with it on on other platforms where you can go a bit deeper. So that's, that's really the strategy.
0: How meaningful is the monetization on YouTube? Is it is it just a drop in the bucket compared to the overall pie, where where Netflix and like your licensing to them really drives it, or is it is it meaningful source of revenue for you guys?
3: And Brandon, you should answer that right with your background. I mean, you. Well, I, I you're, know. You're, 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 you, you saw the, the, the numbers that you, like Google announced last yes. week. Yes. Like uh, I'm trying to get you to
0: say it, Renee. I'm trying six, to get you to say it.
3: Sure. <laughs> six billion in the first quarter and expecting to be, I don't know, 28 or whatever they said in the end of the year. And if I'm not completely wrong, it's exactly the same expectation Netflix has right, cool. for their business.
2: Maybe let me ask you a different question, a, different, a slightly different way. YouTube has talked about their fastest growing platform is the TV. Um, you know, I think early on people thought that was a lot of watching gaming content, but I, I sort of think that kids content, especially your type of content is a tremendous part of that. It is like, when you look at your YouTube traffic, like ballpark, what percentage of it is, can you tell what's happening on a TV screen?
1: Over 50% of our watch time in the U S on YouTube is on the TV.
2: That is nuts.
0: That's incredible.
2: That's incredible. <laughs> that really is an
4: incredible And how is tax. that? Can
0: you, can you talk to how that's grown even over the last year or two? It's, it's definitely grown, but even for the last
1: couple of years, it's been uh, you know, approaching that 50% number.
3: I think it was, uh, was it before COVID? It was, uh, was it 43, 44, something like that?
1: It was in the low 40s before COVID. And since then, it's gone above 50%. Yeah.
2: Okay. So maybe just like, let's let's pull out, you know, so, you know, Walt's question was like, you find stuff on YouTube that's really popular. You go and buy it. You buy these founders out. um, You give them probably more money than they ever envisioned making. And you make their brands to the point where there's kids. I mean, my guess is there was never a chance that Brandon's niece was running around in a Cocoa Melon T-shirt or my niece is running around in blippy clothes if it wasn't acquired by a larger company that professionalized it. But these are founder-led companies, and you know it's funny asking you this question, Renee, coming from Maker, which sort of was dismantled inside of the Disney Empire. But like, how do you keep these founders? Um, and creators incentivize when they become part of this big Goliath company, Moonbug versus you know the mom and pops that's you know every day essentially trying to survive
3: so so um, it depends, right? I think roughly, if I put them into the founders into different buckets, then then I think it's easier to explain. There's the young creative coming out of a creative college somewhere. Uh, who decided to, 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 to do their own animation, put it up on YouTube and, and off to the races they were. Those people we would like to keep, You know, they are highly creative, they think product, they add a lot of value, not only to their own property, but maybe to Moonbark as a whole. And we will incentivize them in a traditional way. If they want to be bought out completely, we might you know, encourage them to have a schmuck insurance Uh, But they will will be part of the the future, and we will make sure they're part of the future. And very often, they're highly creative people who just want to do great things creatively. They don't want to be involved in legal discussions, commercial discussions, complexity around trademarks, etc. They just want to do creative things. That's almost easy. It's a natural fit. The second group is more, let's say, people our age... Um, who are not so much involved in the day-to-day running of their own properties, they've outsourced everything, and maybe they have a couple of core employees. We don't really need more big cheeses in the company, right? We rather want to incentivize the people that have in, uh, outsourced their, their, their production and creative thinking, the music, uh, and, and, and try to get them engaged, so so that's the two buckets, and it's different outputs of our deals uh, compared to, to who owns the property. So,
4: um, as newly minted venture investors at Lightshed, <laughs> we have many, many debates about um, valuation. So I'm just curious from your standpoint, um, like when you buy or are trying to value these companies that you're buying that don't really have metrics, how, how do you end up valuing <laughs> these companies or
0: revenue. They have KPI, right? So
2: Andy, Andy, Andy goes like this:
4: profit, profit metrics.
0: <laughs> so, KPI. so believe
1: it or not, we, we just look at which way the chart is going and just keep it <laughs> keep it going, right? Isn't that what you
3: do? <laughs> just see just if ahead, any it ship fits any,
4: on any it. advice would be welcome. Um, but yes, let us. So,
3: so, so I think unfortunately, uh, the way we are evaluating it's not possible in in a seed stage uh, or early stage in in, in companies that. I guess you guys will invest in. As I said earlier, very often, they are highly profitable businesses. So when you have highly profitable businesses and you have our team of analysts, we have like 18 or maybe more now, data analysts that can predict uh, the growth of the brands, uh, uh, we will just create a very traditional evaluation of these businesses and pay them a fair multiple. uh, um, so, so, So that's easier uh to evaluate then a complete new startup that is literally on on powerpoint and and maybe a beta product sorry so i want to
0: remind everyone that we do have um the ability to if you want to ask um, questions we have the q a and the chat box where you can jump in and ask some. And we actually have a couple that have come in. One of them, Andy, is from your old friend Chris Libertelli. So we we wanna ask <laughs> we we wanna ask you um, that question. And as a reminder, Chris, since you're listening, you do owe us an intro song for our podcast or some uh-huh. intro music. That's true. <laughs> anyway, um, Chris at says, Andy, congrats on your work and a successful transition from Netflix. Well done. A question, in the U.S., kids are defined as below 13 years old. Policymakers are thinking about rewriting COPA. How do you think about creating content for the 10 to 15 range or a cohort that is bumping up on age 13? Is this interesting or not your focus? to your focus?
1: Yeah. So, so COPA is a, is a, you know, very, very big, important part of our lives that we always deal with. So everything that we do is COPA compliant because every, all the content we make are for kids, eight and under basically. So um, uh, Chris, we're really focused on that demo. I mean, our, our philosophy is you have to be focused and you have to be kind of the very best in what you're, what your specific area is before you can kind of expand. And so we're really focused on that eight and under. So we're not really trying to compete in the teen content space or the tween content space. Um, so everything that we do is made for kids, COPPA compliant.
0: And that's, that's all day, every day. That's what we think about. And then your second question here is from Nate Olson mm-hmm. is something that I was curious about also, as you could see, Scarlet with her merch there. How is the children's merchandise retail marketplace evolving? How much merchandise is sold online versus at brick and mortar for these properties?
1: So, um, it, the, as you might imagine, the children's retail merchandise marketplace is evolving really rapidly and pretty dramatically. So, when we, so I, I joined the company. Basically, right after Renee um, raised the the uh, the funding, the initial funding round, and and acquired Little Baby Bomb, and but in that initial business plan, consumer products was a very very small part of our line. It was kind of down the road. We'll get to it. And since then, because there hadn't been a successful kind of you know digital first property IP that had become a big toy hit, uh, but since then there have been several. And consumer products is a is a big, you know, rapidly growing part of our business. Uh, Cocoa Mountain, for example, this this JJ Doll brand that that uh, might be might be coming your way at some point uh, <laughs> is the number one toy this year in retail in the U.S. Uh, of any toy product. So it's it's a big part of our business. Obviously, more and more of it every year is moving online, um, but that's still predominantly through the biz, through Amazon, Walmart. Obviously, dot com, Target, dot com. So, so um, in terms of the properties that that are driving toys, uh, they pretty much pretty much all of them have a YouTube presence. So, not only our own IP, like Coco, Melon, and Blippi, which are which are big, growing, successful consumer products lines, but we work with all we work with about five biggest toy companies as an example to help them reach audience on 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 YouTube because they all recognize that that's an important part of reaching. Young families. And the
2: toy companies want to be advertisers on Moonbug inside of YouTube.
3: That's exactly right. Inside of yes. Exactly like they used to do on Disney Channel and Nickelodeon.
4: Okay. So Annie, can you give us some ballpark estimate of kind of mix online versus um of these other uh in-person brick and mortar, whatever you want to call them, distribution channels? And where you think that's first of all, how does how does COVID accelerated that? And then where you think that ends up five years from now?
1: So uh, uh, the majority is still brick and mortar. Obviously, the first half of like COVID eighty percent that, like that was not the case, right? No, yeah. it's no sm- smaller, okay. smaller than that. I, I, um, I think it's more like a two thirds, one third. But I don't have it off the top of my head. But somewhere, yep. somewhere in that range. Clearly, in the last year, it's been accelerated yep. pretty, pretty dramatically. And um, you know, so do you think I, it swings? We, so as everyone kind of comes back, continues
4: you don't, you don't think it swings back when people can kind of get out and go in stores and I think it settles back.
1: I think it settles back, but then we'll continue that, you know, continue that the growth, but from a higher base.
4: Gotcha.
2: So, um, Andy, in your former job, you fought like crazy to get content made exclusively for Netflix, either you were going to make it or someone was going to make it for you. And Renee, not so much at Maker, but certainly when you went inside the Disney Armada, everything Disney's doing, especially now, um, they really don't want leaving uh, the house. They want everything staying inside the house, vertically integrated with Disney Plus, etc. But, you know, what, what strikes me about Moonbug from the day I first met you all and saw it is your content lives everywhere. It's the exact opposite of exclusivity uh, it's a top 10 show on Netflix and it's the top, you know, kids channel on YouTube and it's on Hulu. And I'm sure I'm, there's 10 other places it is too, that I'm not even aware of, but like, maybe walk us through like, why, why do all the rules that seem to govern the rest of media not apply to Moonbug and kids?
1: So, um, So I think it's a few things. So first of all, it's not that exclusivity doesn't matter at all. Of course, of course, exclusivity, you know, is, is important. But I think fundamentally, if you start from a consumer standpoint, a four or five, six year old kid doesn't get the concept of exclusivity, right? So they're not going to get that. They need to go to this platform to get that show or that platform to get that show. They're going to expect, you know, we see uh, certainly in the U S we see what I see is a lot of households are either YouTube first households with their kids or Netflix first households with their kids. And they're going to watch whatever whatever is on that platform, which means those platforms want to have whatever the most popular content and IP are. Um, secondly, you, you typically don't, and this gets back to Renee's comment about kind of the blockbuster mindset, you typically don't see the big platforms competing from a marketing standpoint based on their kids kids' properties. So they're not highlighting that as why you need to sign up for this, you know, for this platform. But what they quickly find is when people do sign up, if they have kids, the kids tend to be watching a lot more than the parents. I know that's certainly true in my household. And so kids is a very important driver of stickiness, which leads the platforms to want to have the most compelling content that's going to drive the most usage to help really drive their retention. And that leads them to the most popular IP, uh, some of which we have. And another kind of, you know, part of our whole strategy or advantage that we have is that our our properties already exist on YouTube, so they're already out there. So, kind of by definition, the exclusivity is 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 a difficult place to end up. Now, that being said, we will work with platforms uh, um, to do kind of premium versions of the shows that can be exclusive to their to their to their own platform for a period of time. So, we have seven different shows in production now that are, that are, um, you know, that we're doing with one of the big, some, several of the, the big streaming platforms. Um, and those versions will live on that platform for a period of time.
4: That sounds like a little bit like the NFL where they'll, you know, they'll give one distribution, you know, platform, channel, whatever, a version of something and another, and you just spread it around. Um, what, when you mentioned YouTube households versus, um, netflix households how much do you know about the differences between them like i don't i don't know what type of usage data you get um from those companies or demographic data or you know types of shows anything you can tell us in the difference of those households
1: well so so obviously there's a big overlap in terms of you know if you just look at the netflix subscriber numbers and who uses youtube but so so my comment is 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 almost more driven by right. It wasn't I, right. To, to be clear, people, you didn't you
4: didn't say either or. You said first. Obviously, someone that it's not an either or. So, like to the extent someone's been, YouTube first versus Netflix first, what what is the difference? I guess.
1: So the thing that's been interesting to me as just you know over the last year or so working with Coco Melon is is pretty much everybody who I meet who has kids six and under when they hear Coco Melon they their eyes light up. Oh, Coco Melon! And they you're like say, everybody's best friend, Andy. That's my that's what my kid. Oh, that's that show on YouTube my kids love, or that's that show on Netflix my kid loves, my kids love, and that's been really interesting. And and they almost don't know that it's on the other one often. Um, and and you know, there, I think there probably are uh some traits in terms of parents who who you know pay more attention to their a lot of parents don't want their kids watching advertising, for example, and a lot of parents are perfectly happy with it and perfectly happy that kids are being engaged and um, you know, and and kept busy and actually learning something and they don't mind that their kids are watching ads but in terms of the demographic profile well we don't we don't necessarily get into that
4: Um, gotcha you don't you don't talk about it or you just they don't give you that (laughs) that info either (laughs) gotcha
2: so so um there's obviously you know I can't go anywhere without talking about the streaming wars all over the globe. I just gave a presentation last week, you know, at the media partners, Asia at APOs. like they want to talk about the streaming wars and what they're seeing globally. Like everywhere we go, it's everyone wants to talk about it. Everyone obviously is talking about kids content being sort of that kind of glue and sort of stuff that kind of keeps people entertained. What are you seeing though um, in terms of the platforms? Like, uh, obviously, Netflix, Andy, you were there, so you know their aggression in the category. But maybe um, beyond Netflix, what else? Like, who's who's gearing up? Who's getting really excited to work with you? Um, who's really spending in kids? Uh, maybe not even just with you, but in the category in general. I'd be curious, like, what you're seeing. We've got Peacock and Paramount Plus and Apple TV Plus and Amazon, and we got lots of places. But like, who who's getting really interested in kids?
1: So they're really all, they're all interested in kids to varying degrees, Rich, because of what I was saying before in terms of if you want to have like a mass market subscription service or even an advertising support service that, that really gets the kind of big critical mass, I think kids, kids and family has to be a part of your strategy. Um, uh, and one of the things that, that, that we've seen is that as most of these services obviously are vertically integrated, so they own studios and they own networks and now they own their own streaming service. So what we we often see is that um, they'll work uh, externally uh, uh, with, with players like us to help balance out maybe what they have, what they don't have as much internally, right? So if you think about somebody like a Warner Media with Cartoon Network, they have a lot of animated content for kind of older kids and maybe not as much in the preschool space, which now they're expanding into as they're trying to, to appeal to the whole household and as many households as possible and not just specific kind of demographics. So that, that's an example. René, anything you'd, anything you'd add there?
3: I think you're spot on. I mean, if you look at our expansion into China, it's, it's literally all three platforms who want to engage uh, and they're equally fighting for, for the content. So we're seeing it as a global uh, as a global thing that that kids and family is very, very important. I think what 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 you can easily say is that platforms like Netflix is probably more mature. Uh, they've been long, uh, they have been uh, uh, around longer. They understand the value of this kind of content that we are making, the stickiness of it. while some of the new platforms coming into this space, they still think in 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 one thing that subscribers 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 uh because that's what Wall Street will measure them on in in the first first year too, so they either do not focus so much on it yet or they don't really understand it
2: uh, It's just funny you say that because when I open up Disney plus top two or three every single day is Mickey Mouse Clubhouse, when I open up Paramount plus. You know the top 3 shows are are all nickelodeon shows like there's nothing adult that's trending on on paramount plus like it's I, all kid shows
3: spot on and if you see what disney plus just announced uh, today uh, it's all about marvel and 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 that slate and it's purely to attract more subscribers subscribers uh, and i think at a certain stage they will think much more holistically about their platforms. And I think Disney, I think Netflix is definitely there. You, we can hear that with the conversations we have with, with the teams there.
2: What do you mean by that holistically? I, could you just maybe, I feel like you, explain what you're trying to say.
3: So, so, so basically, you know, when you launch a platform, it's all about subscribers. I mean, you're sitting on the other side analyzing, right? You can hear, you can hear every comment from every bank out there you know, oh, they overperform on the new subs or they underperform. And that's what everybody talks about. Nobody really talks about what Andy uh, was talking about, the stickiness, the engagement, right? But really, if you think about it, you get, you get your, your subs in, you need to have very, very stick, sticky audience, not subs who just get in, subscribe for a month to see whatever just been launched as a blockbuster, then unsubscribe. not subscribed. You need people to stay on board. And you also need the stickiness to increase your prices. So this is where, 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 where we are, and this is a very important part of the platform strategy to be successful with stickiness, engagement, and also help on increasing prices if you have the kind of content that we are delivering. And because Netflix has been around for longer, I think they're more mature in their thinking. So that's what I mean holistically. It's a natural development from, from, from the platforms.
0: I wanted to ask, kind of uh, stray away a little bit from linear media. And as I think about kids today and what's different between you know, when we were all, all kids, every kid seems to have an iPad in their hand, which allows for two-way interactivity. And I wanted to ask if you guys had a strategy for interactive media, um, especially as a, a lot of what you do is, is so educational. And you talked earlier about sort of that feedback loop and, and repetition to help kids learn. I know you want to take that.
3: No, you take it.
2: That's fine. <laughs> all right. <laughs> he throws the hard so, ones to you, Andy. Clearly all the hard uh, yeah, questions yeah. go to you. I can see how this works.
1: <laughs> no, it's a, it's a, it's a good question that we talk about a lot. So, so gaming and interactive in general is a, is an area that we're, um, we are less penetrated than we it's, we expect in three years, it'll be a very big part of our business, kind of like maybe consumer products a couple of years ago, but it wasn't. Yep. And we're, we're not, you know, frankly, we've been intentionally trying to to play it a little bit slow until we develop kind of more meaningful, longer term partnerships. So, so, um, we see it as a very natural extension to SIP, particularly something like Blippi, which is all about learning about the world around you. It just, it's just it's just made almost for a very for an educational but also entertaining game, um, and and but we don't we're working on some things. We don't have anything out in the market yet.
3: I mean, strategically, Bandon, we 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 are doubling down on content and, and LM right now. Music will be our next. Big thing. We're growing exceptionally fast in music. I think we're number one uh, music provider on Spotify. We have 50 out of the top 100 hits on on, on Amazon. Uh, so it's an area that is growing exceptionally fast for us. So that's that's kind of our next step. Um, and then naturally, uh, to Andy's point, gaming uh, uh, is an opportunity like education. Uh, but but I think gaming uh, is 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 more natural for us um when when we look at interactivity, it's a very natural part of the kids' playing habits and and therefore we need to be engaged uh, We are speaking to some of the biggest uh, platforms right now uh, and and definitely a, a space that is worth watching. you just mentioned
0: music and how it's a strategic focus for you now is is all that music content just coming out of the episodic/ slash video content or are you creating additional um Music, can you just maybe broaden out our understanding of the music business?
3: Absolutely, we're doing both. Um, we're launching. Uh, is it a record a week, uh, uh, Andy? Something like that, right now? Can you still call it a record in 2021? <laughs>
1: yeah, I think the Grammys <laughs> my, still my, says my record every the year. They, the, the Grammys calls it. So we we'll
0: call it that.
1: <laughs> we put out it. We put out uh, for for our. For some of our shows like Coco Melon and Blippi, we're putting out like an album a month. I think when you add it all up, it's about an album a week. Yeah.
3: And uh, it's
1: so, so, so we yeah. so if you look at the the most popular kids' shows, uh, um, certainly you know ours are some of those. Music is a fundamental trait across across them, right? Even you know Coco Melon, Little Baby Bum are music based properties. Even something like Blippy, which is which is not actually music, is still very popular and a, and a key part of it so of course we have all those mute all those songs that are coming out from every episode that we put out every week we're also supplementing that with additional uh with additional music brandon that we're making specifically for the streaming platforms and we're also looking at other audio products like you know like a like a podcast storytelling that kind of a thing
2: got it It just seems so natural for like i i can sort of just feel the the Moonbug world living inside of roblox or something like that it just seems so <laughs> obvious for those two worlds to collide given the the overlap in in demos and just the simplicity of like just you know characters etc like it just seems like it fits perfectly i know you're not announcing anything right here but it just <laughs> feels like we're, we're trying
0: coming. to pull it out of you but... agreed <laughs> doing a good job. That's what we do. (laughs) There's actually more Q&A that came in and Rich Radin uh, asked a question. He said he has to bounce. So hopefully we get this in before you go. He says, congrats on the success. As two former Disney execs, do you think Maker Studios would have been broken up if it had owned their IP and that IP was more Disney brand friendly instead of more edgy Gen Z. I
3: think it's difficult to, to, to speculate uh, what if, um, but I think for sure, IP ownership was one of the key learnings that I had uh, leaving, leaving uh, uh, Maker Studios and joining Disney uh, that is all about IP. Um, and it's, it's, it's probably the most important thing one could think of uh, when you want to build an entertainment company, own your own IP. So so that would definitely have helped. And a second thing that would have helped uh, was if, if Maker Studios was printing money on the bottom line. Nothing really within Disney that isn't printing money uh, is worth a uh, focus at. So that was another realization. So these two things combined would probably have had a better outcome for Maker Studios.
0: Got it. And then there was one more um, in the box from Elizabeth Bradley, who I think is another maybe co-worker of hey. yours from the past, yep. Andy.
1: Fr- friend and former
0: <laughs> colleague. <Yeah>. Yes, <laughs> your, your friends came out for you today. Um, as Moonbug continues to succeed in professionalizing top YouTube content and then sell it to streamers, won't the streamers simply dedicate Teams individuals to do exactly what you're doing? And how do you see them comp- competing in chasing YouTube creators. Great question.
1: Uh, it, it is a great question. And so first of all, you know par, par, our strategic kind of objective number one is to get the best and the and the biggest and the most popular. Um, but I also think that it's it's um, it's not an easy formula and it's not an easy kind of a, a match married between YouTube creators and streaming platforms. And I know this is something by the way, that, that Netflix and other streamers have been trying to do for years. I I tried it when I was there several years ago and it didn't success on one platform. Doesn't always immediately go to the other. I think that's part of the method in the madness, which is what we do every day. Um, But, but yeah, that's a, that's something that we, that we're up with that, you know, that will happen. The fact that we have these shows that are the most popular, the most watched all over the world, I think is one reason why we're, you know, we continue to work with basically all of the major streamers in some form or another. Rene, anything you'd add to that?
3: I think you're you're right, but I think the likelihood that we do the opposite is 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 really bigger. We have created this this machine, this monster, uh, and we can take any any property really and make it global and successful um, based on 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 our our infrastructure that we've built. So you know, one could imagine that we go after more traditional IP and me make it uh, relevant again, which is what many studios struggling with that they still stuck in in uh, the blockbuster world where you have uh, hit and miss all the time and 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 you know the properties are, are are focused on 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 that peak. it has every three or four years and then it's down in a valley the, the next two three years we don't have that we can take any property in our demographic group of course and make it highly popular because we have the audiences i mean we're reaching on a unique uh, basis, 500 million families worldwide uh, every single month, right? Uh, I don't know if it's 6.2 billion or more uh, views we have monthly, but 500 million families uh, are, are watching.
2: Outcome. And when you say so, that, that, that's just YouTube, just to be clear. No, 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 no. This is- uh, did Across did
0: everything. Is uh, it, do you have, are you very actively cross-promoting within your properties?
3: I wouldn't say as aggressive as, as we could do uh, because we haven't felt that uh, a natural link, but there are a couple of our IPs that have such a clear match that we can see that as a crossover of origins. So there will be cross promotion of course there. Absolutely.
4: So maybe you can touch on of those 500 million homes, um, households mix in us. I mean, I know, and, and maybe also kind of as a launching um, board from talking about just global in general, Uh, you know, yeah, I think you just licensed some products in Brazil. I think you had a deal in, um, China, I think in March, which is a notoriously hard market to, to enter. So just a, give us a sense of where you are in the U S today. B, how did you get into China? And then I think C kind of, where do you see it in five years in terms of the, your global mix?
3: So so as we as we said earlier uh, a lot of the properties that we are buying typically only exist on one or two platforms in one language so just the fact that we are translating it into i think 12 15 18 different languages I, I a- counted last night Renee, 20, 20, 20 different languages, languages. Uh, okay so you're well prepared. You're inventing
2: your own languages now that's amazing
3: I know. Yes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> plus I can't language. name them all but it's I
3: can them on the list. <laughs> so, so, um, so, by nature, uh, we are expanding globally. And there's no surprises if you look at our viewership. U.S. is our biggest market. Um, and then uh, uh, you have the, the typical market. You have in LATAM, Brazil, and Mexico, huge markets for us. In Europe, U.K., the Nordics, uh, Germany, and France. In Asia, Philippines, Indonesia, Vietnam, Thailand, uh, all huge markets. Korea is, is also a strong market. Uh, yeah, India
1: is, India is a really big market
3: for us as well. The last one I so say, India is getting okay, really, sorry. really big. No, that's fine. Um, and of course, the majority of the platforms you work with do not exist in China. So yep. that's why we need a separate strategy for China. And our strategy that we have chosen is is straightforward it's literally going non-exclusive with the major platforms Uh, in the past you 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 kind of had to go with cctv uh, to get the spread and the awareness in china and then you could go with the platforms to start monetizing etc and there's been a few examples of hugely successful strategies that have gone that way but we have chosen to go non-exclusive and solely focus on awareness We want to have, as quick as possible, more than a billion views in China, and we think that's the magical number for start franchising our business. So that's where we're heading to, and that's why we've done a deal with the three biggest streaming platforms in the country. Uh, Going forward, I um, I think China will be a huge market for us. I think Asia in general, we already have people on the ground in Asia. We have two offices there. Um, but we're going to expand dramatically in, in, in that part of the world. Uh, and we're going to continue to buy properties that are global. I mean, ARPO is bought out of Korea. We have taken that global. It's getting very popular in the US. Slapstick, comedy, non-dialogue, really interesting show. We're going to do an original with one of the platforms. Uh, um, so so that's, that's the strategy. It's definitely everything we do is global.
2: In, you had mentioned, I think, at the beginning, that there's like a cocoa melon TikTok challenge or whatever. Um, you know, I, I guess when I think of sort of the demos of under eight, I, I don't usually think of social media and mobile platforms. Uh, am I wrong in that? Like, you know, or is this parents? Like, what is the strategy, or how do you think about you know all of social media and sort of how all of these platforms, whether it's Instagram or TikTok or Facebook and everything in between, where does that fit into the, the world of Moonbug? So
1: pa- parents, it, with kids, with this demo, young families is kind of our audience and parents are, are obviously an important um, part of that. And so, yeah, social social. It's primarily parent first, right? So Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, we've got um, really, really Kind of engaged audiences. If you just check out, you know, Blippi on Instagram, uh, for example, you'll see parents posting pictures of their kids dressed as Blippy every single day. Oftentimes, the dads dressed as Blippi as well. Um, and on TikTok, for example, the Cocoa Melon TikTok challenge. So, so social is, you know, I think our social um, engagement is up like over 120 uh, percent just year to date. It's it's a, it's a category we're focusing on, really trying to appeal appeal to the whole the whole family with young kids.
2: Do you think you're ever gonna create your own property or just continue to buy things that you love?
3: Uh, both. Uh, We've already created uh, our own properties. So we have taken spin-off characters fully based on data as, as we yep. talked about earlier. Uh, um, and and I mean, Buster is, is probably the most popular one uh, that we have created taking uh, the boss out of Little Baby Bomb call and create its own show basically uh, our data analyst told us that when the boss is the main character in a show uh, then the engagement and viewership is much higher when the boss is yellow is much higher than when it's red and all that stuff and that that data we have used uh, uh, to create our own property and that property now in itself is 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 very very valuable and 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 we're going into merchandising with it, and 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 yeah, it's on on sixty something platforms all around the world right now. So it's going really fast. Yep.
1: It's on Netflix. We have a an original uh, special coming out later this year on a different platform. It's the one that's over Rich's left shoulder, uh, Buster the bus. We also have a show we created that, that, Rich.
2: that way. So I can't that do it. That yep. way. there we that's go. Guy. There we go. <laughs> we, I don't we do left and show. right on on Zoom very well. well it's I think you have, I think you have them on both. So. that's probably true i can go like that i guess <laughs> the,
0: yeah.
1: that the the other one is Digley and daisy who are other characters that we that we took out of little baby Bum and now gave their own show Brandon. so we do this we'll introduce characters we'll see through the data if they're popular we'll give them their own show within the same youtube channel ecosystem if that person is successful then it'll be really we'll spin it out as its own proper show that will distribute to other platforms so like Buster is its own property on Netflix and many other many other platforms as an example. So that's part of our model for testing, trying, constantly learning, and then kind of giving a show when it's ready, pushing it out of the nest so it can fly on its own.
2: You guys, uh, both Andy and Renee, thank you for your time. This has been awesome. We love shining a light on interesting companies. And a part of me just, I, I still sort of marvel that n- nobody has sort of bought Moonbug, just given the import, the growing importance of kids content but it certainly is working in your favor i look forward i guess the, the big question to end on is what are you going to buy next because i'm sure you're not done buying things and so uh, i guess we need to keep our eye on what is bubbling up on youtube but i'm sure you're not done yet in, in buying things
3: oh 100% not look
0: okay. forward to seeing what's next
2: Thank you for the awesome. update. This is well, a great to chat with you thank guys. Thank you guys. This is great. Have a good week. Thanks Take for care. making time for us.
0: Take care, guys. Bye. Take care.